On August 9th, 2020, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake hit the small town of Sparta, North Carolina in Allegheny County. This was the strongest earthquake recorded in the state in 104 years and the second strongest in the recorded history of the state. While visiting Sparta, Governor Roy Cooper made this statement, we've dealt with a hurricane, a violent tornado, and now an earthquake, all in the middle of a pandemic. North Carolinians are resilient. This is certainly a true statement. North Carolinians have shown resiliency in the face of natural disasters since the inception of the state, and there are a ton of stories in the archives that showcase this fact. Resiliency is a capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulties, or to put it simply, fortitude. Whether it's individuals risking their lives for others, agencies funneling resources into rescue operations, or communities coming together to rebuild, North Carolinians are absolutely resilient. Welcome to Connecting the Docs, a podcast sharing true stories from the old North State using materials found in the state archives of North Carolina. Taking us through these stories and more, here's your host. Hello and welcome back to Connecting the Docs. Today I am filling in for John Haran. I am Josh Hager. You've heard me on a couple episodes before, but this is my first time hosting the podcast. And I am happy to continue our look at resiliency with our final episode in the series. Today we're looking at how the State Archives of North Carolina helps local and state government agencies prepare for disasters. We'll also learn some tips of the trade for how to mitigate records loss during a disaster. Joining us today are podcast team member Katie Crickmore. Hi there. And joining us from New Bern uh, here in Raleigh is records analyst for disaster preparedness Kayla Leonard. Welcome to the show, Kayla. Thanks for joining us. So I want to get into our discussion first with an overview because people who are listening might not think that the state archives, they connect us with historical records, older things. They might not think about a role that we can have actively helping agencies get ready for disasters. So what is it that we do to do that? Well, we do a few different things. Uh, One of the main things that we do is we work with local and state governments and universities um, through workshops on their essential records, which are the records you need in about the first 72 hours after a disaster, uh, as well as disaster preparedness. Um, I think since 2020, we've had almost 600 people attend those workshops. The workshop was developed from the Intergovernmental Preparedness for Essential Records, or IPER, program, which was developed by the Council of State Archivists and FEMA. We take what they put out, we sort of make it our own and tailor it towards what North Carolina needs, and then we offer that to the public. And uh, I was used to teach these workshops as well, and I always found that the state and local officials who attended them are always very thankful to get this training because you never know when a disaster will strike. We, as we've seen in our past two episodes, some of these events can happen with hardly any warning. I mean, a flash flood is called a flash flood for a reason. You know, these things just kind of happen. Um, but there's also other kinds of disasters too. Like, um, you know, there's things like electrical problems or a, a 
bad pipe in a building or a cybersecurity attack like ransomware or even the loss of institutional memory. And we try to help with any of those things. We, we aren't just specific on storms and natural events, unlike our previous two episodes. So in those workshops, we try to educate folks about best practices. What are some basic ones that people should think about? The best piece of advice that I can give you as far as disaster preparedness and even disaster response goes is have a plan in place long before a disaster strikes. So if you have your plan in place, um, even those unanticipated disasters like a ransomware situation or a flash flood or looting even, you have the steps to take both in preparation and in response. So sort of related to that, I would say in your plan, make sure you're talking about your preparedness plans and your recovery plans. You want to know what you will need and where those, those things are located before the disaster strikes. You don't want to be scrambling around after a disaster trying to find your supplies or your records or anything like that. So you want to make sure you know where stuff is and if you can access it after a disaster. Absolutely. Um, you know, some of the, the tools that we help with, you know, in the workshops, we give folks some strategies with this. We'll get into a little bit more of that in a little in a moment. We also give templates people can use um, to build something as simple as a file uh, inventory. A lot of agencies don't know every single item that they have. I mean, that's seem, that's actually it seems like an odd statement, but it makes sense because a lot of state and local agencies are taking care of thousands and thousands of records, both paper and electronic. And keeping track of what everybody is working on in a particular agency is difficult. But having a handle on the files is really critical. It's what we call intellectual control in our field. It's important because having those that file information can help you identify where is it stored, are there multiple copies? Is it physical or digital? Um, and it can also help you figure out if it's an essential record um, because essential records have to be identified first and should be easily accessible as part of the recovery. And we'll talk a little bit about what essential records are in just a second. Uh, but having that file plan is critical, so we help folks come up with that plan. We, we don't necessarily go out and write it for them, but we can give them strategies for, okay, here's this entire room full of file cabinets, or here's this server that hasn't been edited in 10 years, here's the first steps for getting a handle on it. Because that's, if uh, we do another workshop about best practices for files and filing, it goes hand in hand with this. I mean, really, getting your files in order is one of the best strategies for preparing for a disaster. But we also offer a service uh, called a consultation. And we do go out to agencies and help them when they have questions about disaster preparedness. I can speak to one of the consultations that I assisted with, and it was with a state agency. And they contacted us because they recognized that a room they were sharing with several other state agencies had had some water damage. And it was a room where they stored what they deemed as, these records are old. Now, what is old? We've been talking about records as in, on the podcast that go back to the 1700s, and for them, old was 1990. But it's still 
relatively old, um, but they weren't quite sure what it was, and they identified that they, there was some water damage to the records. They did get the records out of that room, which was good, and they assessed them to see if they had mold damage because that's the you don't want to bring hazardous materials into the main part of the building they weren't damaged in that way the water had gone so they brought us in and we helped go through the records with them to identify which records could be destroyed which was the majority could be destroyed based on the retention schedule but there were a few that had either long-term or permanent retention in the office and those we were trying to give them the advice on either how to save the paper or in situations like that, the best strategy might be to digitize the material and keep the digital surrogate because that's not going to have the same damage. Um, that's, that's a consultation for after the fact. It's a different situation when it's actually still going on. <laughs> I would never recommend to an agency, if there's a flood in a room, get the flood taken care of first. Don't just dive in for records because... You know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong with that. Um, you know, well, the obvious example, what if there's an electrical outlet that's in the flood and you step into the puddle, you're in for a shock. <laughs> you know, you don't want that to be your problem. <laughs> uh, so, but in that case, the, it was no longer an active situation, so we handled it the right way. Um, how would an agency, if they're interested in a consultation, what should they do, Kayla? They can contact um, a records analyst. There's a list of records analysts on our website. I would suggest starting with myself in the case of a disaster situation, or even if you were trying to plan for a disaster situation. You don't have to wait for the disaster to hit to call us out and have us look at your records room. We will absolutely come out and do a site visit and sort of help you come up with mitigation strategies for your records. So for instance, I know a lot of people end up being embarrassed about the state of where their records are stored and so they don't want to call us in and they don't want to show us. Don't be. I can guarantee you we've seen pretty much everything that there could be at some point or another. We do not judge and we understand that for the most part, especially within local governments, people are working with the space they have. And sometimes that's a basement, sometimes it's a closet, sometimes it's an attic, and that's perfectly okay. We're not here to judge or tell you, you have to move everything out of this room right now. We are here to sort of help you come up with better ways you can store your records in the space you have. So for instance, if your records are in a basement, we could uh, maybe suggest like move them maybe three to five inches up off the ground, put them on top of something so they're not sitting directly on the floor. It's a small step, but it's a step that will help you in the long run. And we are also here to just sort of walk with you through the rooms and sort of see, okay, are there water pipes in here? Do we need to be concerned about overhead water intrusions? Uh, are there windows in this storage space? Is that something we need to be concerned about? Um, we can't necessarily come in and do the mitigation steps for you, but we're absolutely here to help you brainstorm and to serve as a resource. So if it's prior to a disaster or after a disaster or even during a disaster, if the situation has been deemed safe, feel free to reach out to one of us. Um, 
if we are for some reason unable to answer your question, we will get you in touch with someone who can. And so there is no wrong time to reach out to us. I believe my contact information will probably be in the show notes. You will be able to reach out to me via email or you can give me a call and I'm happy to be there and answer any of your questions. And even though Kayla is stationed in New Bern, she can provide advice to agencies across the state. And we do have analysts based in Raleigh for the central part of the state. And we have an analyst based in Asheville for the mountains. So we are ready to help any local and state agency, no matter where you're at in North Carolina. So in our next section, we are going to teach Katie a little bit of the content that you would learn in a disaster recovery workshop. But first, here's our commercial for the day. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm late. What are you looking at? Oh, I'm looking at the Western Regional Archives Facebook page. Western Archives? Yeah, the Western Regional Archives. They're in Asheville. They're a branch of the State Archives in North Carolina, but they specialize in collecting and preserving the history and heritage of the western part of the state. What all do they have? Well, they collect all kinds of things, personal and family papers, organizational records, diaries, architectural plans, photographs. They really have a ton of neat stuff. Wow! Yeah, they even have the records of Black Mountain College. You know, that was that experimental school that operated between 1933 and 1957. Have you ever heard of Joseph Albers? Isn't he that guy that painted the squares? That's right, he's the guy that painted the squares. He actually taught at Black Mountain College. That's so cool. Can anybody visit Western Regional Archives? Oh, they sure can. The archives is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. But the archivist there can help you anytime. They're super friendly and helpful. So even if you can't come by for a visit, you can call or email them. They're great. And we are back. Welcome back to Connecting the Docs. Thank you for those messages. We are now going to teach Katie a thing or two about disaster preparedness. Um, so, Katie, are you ready to learn? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. We'll give you first a brief glimpse in disaster prep content. And, uh, Kayla, the first part of any of these plans is identifying essential records. What do we mean by that? Typically, your essential records are going to fall into one of five categories. They're going to be the records that are necessary for emergency response, the records necessary to continue operations, as Josh mentioned, Records that protect the health, safety, property, and rights of residents. Uh, so if you're in a Register of Deeds office, that might be most of your records. That's one of the few exceptions to the typically less than 5% of your records are essential. Um, the records that would require massive resources to reconstruct. So for instance, if you have a uh, tourism development board and they keep minutes those would be an essential record because it would take massive resources to try and construct, reconstruct the whole history of your agency. And the last type of essential record are those that document the history of communities and families in your area. It's also important to note that not all essential records are created equal, at least in this context. There are some records that you're going to need right away. And there are some of your essential records that you may not need until three or four days after your disaster. So when you're thinking about your essential records and when you're thinking about that disaster plan, it's a pretty good idea to make sure that you're prioritizing when you'll need those records. So, Katie, um, just 
put yourself now that you've heard the categories and know kind of what are essential records think about your role here at the archives and your day job when you're not podcasting when you're handling the really interesting queries that we get from the general public every day what are some essential records that we would need aside from the actual archives because the historical records are a different animal but operational records what would you think would be the essential records for continuing the operations of our reference department okay yeah so the disaster preparedness plan the uh, emergency contact list uh, and uh, employee contact list uh, those would definitely be essential and i guess they'd be in the first category necessary for emergency response for necessary to resume or continue operations uh, i guess that would be uh, customer information in because uh, the reference handles a lot of orders that people have out some of them are correspondence so they aren't necessarily as um, time sensitive but we also handle a lot that are time sensitive especially for legal and entitlement requests people still need copies of their marriage license divorce records uh, and we need to be able to keep providing those for them so I guess uh, we would need a plan put in place uh, to have all those documents ready in case we needed to do a skeleton crew and keep that specific uh, record requests flowing. Uh, the next, protect the health, safety, property, and rights of residents. I think that's a lot of the, what you just talked about in this yeah. case because th it's, they go hand in hand. I mean, the work that we're doing on a daily basis is protecting the rights of citizens. So it's the same kind of thing, keeping track of those active requests, the records of those requests, where are they? <laughs> if it's a certified copy, making sure that we can get that out and it's not just lost, things like that. The other thing I will mention in relation to what you just spoke about is sort of going back to what Josh said about knowing where it is. So Archives has a database that they use to track certain records. And having access to that database or having paper copies of some of the information that's in that database is also going to be considered an essential record because you sort of need that to be able to find the records that you need to protect those rights of the North Carolina residents. Would that fall into the would require massive resources to reconstruct, I guess? Absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking in my day job as the head of government records description, yes. A thousand times, yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so that definitely, those categories are very helpful in kind of making a plan. Exactly. I mean, and that, and we, like you said, we have a disaster plan that you've looked over that includes a lot of these things. So we're not just, you know, talking aimlessly here, but um, you didn't write the disaster plan. You read it. So the people who wrote it were thinking about these things as essential records. So, but yeah, that's the kind of essential records that. Everyone who's in a position of in a government position should be thinking about what are the essential records that are in my responsibility. But even if you're not and you're listening to this as a as not a member of government, but just as a, a listener, you probably have essential records in your home or in your own job that you need to take care of. Whether it's, you know, things like your kids' vaccination records or your um your house, your mortgage your driver's license, your marriage license, things that you've got to have to continue operations of yourself. Uh, 
and having those and knowing where they're at, knowing where the backups are and having a, a plan in place is just as essential for everybody listening in an individual sense as it is for an agency sense. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about in those workshops are what we call grab and go kits. And I recently worked on creating a template for what should be in a grab and go kit for your personal life instead of just the ones we have for, you know, your government agencies and all of those things Josh mentioned, the marriage license, passports, your mortgage documents, your vaccine records, all of those sorts of things are things that would typically be in a grab and go kit. Now at your house, you don't necessarily need to keep them in a bag ready to go out the door, but it's important to know where they are. Where do you keep them? And maybe try and store them together so that they're easy to grab if you need to evacuate the area quickly. So after identifying essential records, the next step is identifying potential risk to records. Um, so there are a lot of different risks and hazards to records, and we help people identify both what those risks are, and also we identify the likelihood of that risk occurring, and if it occurs, what will the level of damage be to a record? So for example, uh, if you have a, a file cabinet that is next to a coffee maker, what are the odds that somebody is going to spill a cup of coffee onto the file cabinet? Kind of high because you're right next to it. What is the level of damage that would occur if somebody spilled a cup of coffee on the file cabinet? If the file cabinet is closed, hopefully it's minimal damage, but there might be some. Now, if somebody has the coffee and they're over the file cabinet and they spill it into the drawer, that's a bit different, and uh, you would have latte problems in that situation. Okay, I was wondering when you were going to try to work one of those in. <laughs> if I'm hosting, there's going to be at least one bad pun. Uh, but And there it is, folks. <laughs> so if you're playing the play-at-home game, uh, there you go. Uh, but... So there's a lot of different hazards, and the hazards and risks are specific to everybody's office or everybody's situation. I mean, there are obvious things like a hurricane is a risk, but usually we want to do that assessment at your specific office. And an office that's in Asheville is going to have different natural risks than an office in Brunswick County. Um, so that's part of it. But then there's also things that are specific to your own room. And we have an activity for you. Ooh, yay. Yes, indeed. And we have an, have an activity for you as well at home. You're going to see a couple images in the show notes of a, a, a kind of office. Maybe it looks like yours, maybe not. We're going to go through the, the scenarios. And Katie, what I want you to do as you see the image is just spout off stream of consciousness what risks you see in the image and then the ones you don't see Kayla and I can point out so we're going to start with scenario A and for those of you who don't have the images at home scenario A depicts uh, a typical office room uh, it's the break room and there's also some filing cabinets in the break room uh, I do really encourage you to go pull up the image on the show notes so that you can play along with us as we discuss it so Katie, what do you think might be some potential risks and hazards to the records in this room? 
All right. Well, first of all, the first thing I noticed was there's trash on the floor. Someone could slip on one of those or trip and fall. So you'd want to make sure that the area is clean and uh, kind of debris not around. Uh, second thing I noticed, there's a microwave and a coffee maker and a sink in the same room that looks like some essential files. There's some boxes right beside the trash can that could be holding files. If someone tosses a, a cup uh, in there or like some food containers, some, some splatters could get on those boxes. Um, they are closed, which is good news, I guess. <laughs> um, there's some file cabinets under a window in the corner, and it looks like there could be some loose files on top of the file cabinet. Um, those could get lost, slide right behind it, or the window could be left open and they could blow away. Uh, or they could also just get damaged if someone's grabbed a cup of coffee, went over to look out of the window and dumped it on it. Okay, what am I missing? So one of the major risks in this room that I would want to draw your attention to is what appears to be a water spot on the ceiling. Um, it's directly above those boxes of records. Whoa, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, so that's one of the important things to remember when you're looking at your record spaces is always look up. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people don't look up. Um, so yeah, that water spot is a sign of previous water damage, and there's no telling whether or not that water leak is still active or not from this image. Another one that you may have missed. Um, think about there's trash on the floor. There's a plant on top of the file cabinet. What is attracted to old food crumbs and plants? Uh-oh, bugs. Yes, the hidden menace, otherwise known as vermin. Uh, yes, vermin is a major um, threat here because the garbage can isn't covered. There's garbage on the floor. There's a microwave. There's a plant. The window is open. The odds of this room getting infested with vermin is quite high. And vermin are a records disaster. Let me, let me just point, point that out there. It's not, it's not as like clear as a hurricane or a flood, but if you come in and all your records have been eaten by moths or things, then that's just as bad. <laughs> And also, if there's like a beehive in there, you just don't want to go in there. Yeah. That's a risk to you. <laughs> you also have to water that plant that's sitting directly on top. Oh, yeah, that's right. You could spill water all over the documents. <laughs> and the files are right next to the plant. There's loose files right next to the plant, so the water could spill on it. The, the fact there's also loose files on top tells me those files are not in the right spot. So if there's a disaster and the disaster plan says that those are in that file cabinet and they get washed away... No one's going to know where they are. All right, what else you got for me? So that was scenario A. Let's turn to scenario B. Kayla, why don't you set the stage for our listeners and tell them what Katie's looking at while she ponders it. So in scenario B, we are looking at an average office. There's a desk with a computer on top. Filing cabinet is to one side of the desk. A trash can is on the other there's a map of the town up on the wall. All right. Well, first thing I'm seeing is a security issue here because someone left both their computers open and their badge laying right on the table. Uh, second thing, oh, I looked up and I do see another water stain. So there you go. There's an open trash can with food up at the top. So that's another vermin issue. Uh, now I know what I'm looking for. These are getting easier to spot. Um, 
there's loose files on the file cabinet uh, like Josh said could be out of place and uh, hard to know what they are there's some loose papers that are on the desk I don't know if those are essential or not they're not filed correctly they're just kind of laying around some are crumbled up there's an open coffee cup uh, sitting next to some files that could be essential and sitting next to a, a computer. If it spills, it could short out the computer as well. Let's see. I don't know if this is an issue, but I am seeing some uh, paper sticking out of the drawers. That could just be a disorderly thing. <laughs> uh, but it could also be... Uh, some documents that also weren't filed properly, maybe. Um, okay, I guess that's it. What do I, what have I missed this time? So let me just ask you: Do you think that the the do we have both desktops open on the computer? Do you think that this person knows at all where their files are on their computer based on how haphazard those desktops are? Oh, good point. There doesn't look like to be any organization as far as the icons. Uh, it could be very disorganized and mismanaged. And files misplaced on the computer or the cloud are just as bad as files misplaced in the filing cabinet. Because, like you said, if that coffee cup spills on the motherboard and that computer is fried and the only copy is on that desktop, there is no copy anymore. <laughs> uh, Kayla, you mentioned the map. Why is the map telling us about a risk? Yeah, I was curious about that. So the map could be telling you about a risk for several reasons. We don't know from this particular map what it's a map of other than it's a map of the town. So is that a security risk from a standpoint of like, do, is this a utilities office? And that says where the power stations are. Um, is that telling you where all of the government buildings are in the town? And this just seems to be in plain view on the wall in this office. Is that the only copy of that map? And it's up on the wall. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. There's also a potential natural disaster involved with the map. That mm -hmm. could be a risk. What is the nature feature that, Katie, you just found it. What's the problem here? Oh, there's a big river. Yes. So what if our office is right next to the riverbed? What does that mean? What risks are now much more likely if we're near a riverbed? Flooding for sure. Exactly. Kayla, do you want to expand on that? Uh, yeah. So if you are right next to a riverbed, like me, uh, my office is literally right on the river. One of the things you are always going to have to be concerned about is not only flooding, but the potential of water seeping up through the ground into your building. Flash floods from rivers happen quickly. They can overflow their banks. It cannot be raining where you live. But if it's raining somewhere upriver heavily and then the river is draining out, it can flood your town. So keeping an eye on those river levels if you are close by is always going to be super, super important. And that goes for any body of water, but especially the rivers because the water is going to be coming from upstream. But if this was on the coastline or the shore of a lake, same kind of, a lot of same issues like, oh, this is iffy. Now, if we're talking about a, a very, very tiny creek, less so. The risk is lessened, but it's not completely mitigated because any body of water could cause problems in the event of a flash flood or we, our favorite friends, the vermin. Uh, vermin tend to hang out around bodies of water. 
So if you're like near a creek or there's a like water feature behind your building, that could be a spot where they love to hang out. The other thing I will mention is that it has happened um, that after a major flooding incident, you don't just have water in your building. If you're near a natural body of water like a river or an ocean, you may have fish or alligators or snakes that have washed in with the water. Always remember that if you are near water, water will find a way. Which is why we're seeking funding for the Samuel L. Jackson sequel, Snakes on a Shelf. <laughs> uh, so that's scenario B. Let us now turn to scenario C. Uh, in scenario C, Katie, what you're looking at is a server room in an office. Uh, this is the where they're keeping all their electronic files on that lovely server. But what are the potential problems here? Well, I'm seeing a lot of issues. This is a server room. There is um, there is water, a water pipe at the very top that could be at risk of bursting. Um, there is a looks like an overloaded outlet at the bottom that could be a fire hazard. Um, again, the computers are unlocked, so security issues. There's uh, a window at the top, so I don't know. Just looking at it, it kind of implies that this is a basement room. Mm -hmm. um, okay, yeah, I got that right. <laughs> So uh, there could be more risks for, like, dampness or uh, uh, frequency of flooding, I guess. Um, there are a box of files underneath the desk where someone would be working. I don't think that's the best place to store those. There's some, uh, again, a trash can that's overflowing that could uh, attract vermin, or it could be another potential fire hazard uh, just for fuel down there. Let's see, a coffee cup above the computers. That's not safe. Uh, a box of miscellaneous files on just the top shelf. I don't know if that's the right place for those. Uh, so, yeah, okay, that's what I noticed right away. Uh, anything I missed? What kind of pipe is at the top of the room? A sprinkler system? Yes, and... You put the nail on the head with that outlet down there because if that sparks and there's a fire, it's going to cause the sprinkler to go off and the sprinkler is right over the server. And if it's only stored locally and not in the cloud, what do you think is going to happen to a server that gets a shower? You're going to lose everything. This is not to say that we don't promote the use of sprinklers. In most cases, water damage is going to be better than fire damage. This is your local PSA for the day. Yes, specifically <laughs> with servers, it's a problem. With paper files, water can be saved usually. Fire is fire and is not... Fire is irreversible. <laughs> uh, water damage can be mitigated. But I would not advise putting a, ser a server under a sprinkler. Uh, that's just... Probably not. Uh, but you're, you're getting much better as we do more of these because you found most of the hazards here. The one other hazard potentially that I think, and this is an iffy one because we don't know what's on it, there's a sign or a billboard posted in the middle of the room. And that could just be something like, um, this is the server room, please don't mess with the equipment. But it could also be a thing that this worker has put up saying, the password to get into the computer is this. You unplug this one to get to this server, and if it's instructions that are of security risk, then if anyone gets in the building illicitly 
and if they maybe stole that badge from the first office we saw, the, then they could get into this room, and then all of a sudden they've got all the access they need. You know, do not leave the clues around for people like it's an escape room. You don't want your office files to be solvable by outside parties in, the, in this kind of a, a scenario. Uh, so this is something to think about. But well done, Katie. Thanks. Yeah, it got a lot easier once I knew what I was looking for. So those are the three scenarios, and you'll see them again. Um, you'll see you again. You can see them on the show notes. We'll have links to them so that you can uh, take those and uh, digest some of those hazards. And maybe there's some that we didn't even talk about here that are implied. If there's other hazards that you're seeing, let us know, uh, and we can tell you, yeah, sure, or um, maybe it is, but maybe the likelihood is less. So some things that we didn't see here but could be a risk. Uh, we saw servers and computers. We don't know if they're backed up or not, so that could help mitigate some problems that they're backed up. We don't know if there's a, a ransomware attack, if they have those kind of strategies in place. We also don't know geographically where in the state it is. We know it's near a river, but we don't know, like, is it on the coast where there might be more likely to have a hurricane? Is it in the mountains where they're more likely to have a, a, a landslide or some kind of event like that? Are they near a major forest where there could be a wildfire? Um, we don't know. Uh, so there's other things that could be implied that we don't have enough information from, from these scenarios. But one of the things we would encourage you in any setting, again, whether this is your a government employee or your personal setting, is doing this sort of inventory. Step back. Take mental pictures of where you're keeping your records, whether they be on a computer or physical and assess what are these hazards. You know, maybe you didn't realize that you're keeping a plant next to where you're keeping your licenses, and that plant might not be a good thing to have right next to your licenses. Um, so just step back for a second, consider those, and then consider the level of damage that could happen for what could happen. So we usually don't like to encourage worst-case scenario thinking because that's you know we don't want to be pessimists in the archives. But in this particular instance. You have to prepare for the worst. So what is the worst case scenario and how can we mitigate that if it happens? And you mentioned mental pictures. I would also advise you, especially in your own home, uh, to also take actual pictures, um, at least annually, of your workspace, of your house, of the interior of your house, where you have your records stored, all of those things, um, just as part of your normal disaster planning and preparation. Because uh, it's just always good to have those photos of what it looked like before anything happened. Absolutely. Uh, so our next thing we're going to teach you about, Katie, uh, when I say the words coop and reap, what do you think of? A coop and a reap. A chicken and, a, I guess, death. <laughs> <laughs> the grim reaper. <laughs> uh, valid. Valid, but there's no scythes here in, in this scenario, nor are there chickens unless you happen to have like some sort of experimental chicken farm behind your office. Uh, but a coop and a reap are specific tools you can use for disaster prep. Kayla, what are those? So a coop is a continuity of operations plan, and that's going to tell you sort of how to protect your employees and resume your time critical operations in the event of an emergency. 
Um, so a disaster plan could be part of a coop plan. A coop plan could be part of a disaster plan. Uh, it's going to depend a little bit on just how your agency chooses to use the terminology. Uh, but your coop specifically is going to focus on getting back to business as soon as possible. It's really going to focus on that continuity of operations and making sure you don't have a break in doing what you need to do for your local constituents or your statewide constituents. It can and should address your records, uh, but that is not the only focus of a COOP plan. It's going to take a much larger picture view and is usually produced as part of a collaboration between a bunch of different departments within a local or state government. So in this case, no chickens. Uh... Potentially. You'd be surprised how many local governments have chickens at their landfills and they use it as part of their waste reduction. Well, that is today's excellent fact of the day. <laughs> uh, so that's your coop, Katie. So it's a continuity of operations plan. Okay, gotcha. Um, but you're probably still thinking reap. But no, a reap isn't grim. What is a reap? So a reap is a records emergency action plan. It can be part of a COOP plan or an overall disaster plan, but it's going to focus on the information and actions needed to respond from a records emergency. So this is going to be very specific to your records. Uh, you want to make sure that you're periodically testing this plan to make sure that your records haven't changed location and no one has updated their locations, um, things of that nature. It's going to address the probable and the existing vulnerabilities to your records. Uh, those are usually going to be identified in the risk analysis like we just did with these three scenarios. And then sort of taking any, uh, or outlining any of your corrective or protective or mitigating actions. So that purpose of the REAP is going to be pre to prevent the loss of the records and information. You want to make sure you don't have to do costly salvage work if you can avoid it. And you don't want to delay the critical business functions after an emergency. can also help you figure out what to do after an emergency. So your REAP may tell you where the key's located. Where's your water valve shut off for your records room? How to find an employee phone number? What's the chain of command? So just to sort of summarize, a REAP is going to be part of a larger disasters plan, but it's going to be record focused so there's your coop and your reap so that is our preview so to say of our disaster preparedness course i say preview because this workshop actually is four hours long and has a lot more detail uh for our attendees they actually attend two different days two hours each um, there's a lot more specifics that we get into for agencies so i i highly recommend if you are a local or government employee in North Carolina that hasn't taken our disaster preparedness and essential records class, please do sign up for it next time it's offered. Um, it is a critical component of your training and it goes very well with your essential managing public records or with your basic managing public records workshop that almost every employee does take. So I strongly encourage you to take it. But if you are a member of the public and not a government employee, we hope that this has given you a little bit to think about for the prep, because as we'll talk about in a second, almost all of the immediate recovery is dependent on the prep that you have done. 
Does that make sense, Katie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that is, thank you for being our student for the day. We appreciate that. Um, but obviously people do want to know what to do if something does happen. And, you know, what are the first steps you should take? And again, we're not like the emergency responders. We're, we're thinking about records first. But within that picture, Kayla, what would you recommend um, as first things to happen after a, a records disaster? Yeah, so whether you're a government employee looking at your records or whether you are a private citizen looking at a disaster that's happened in your home, the first two things that I would say is just human safety always comes first. Do not put yourself or anyone else at risk to try and save records in your house or at your job. And then the second thing I would say to do is if it is cleared, if you are cleared to go inside by those emergency responders, by someone who has made sure that there's not electricity and water in the same room, the first thing you want to do is assess your situation. Before you try and change anything, get a sense of what the situation that you have walked into is, the overall picture of where your damage is the scope of your damage. Are there any immediate needs? Much of your salvage work or your stabilization work is going to have to wait until after you know what all of the damage is so that you can sort of create a priority uh, structure to your response. That's really important because I think if you're not panicking, the first response and the first instinct might be, I need to go in and start working immediately. I need to go and start grabbing stuff and getting it out of here. You may not even think to have it cleared by emergency responders, but that's not the first thing. The first thing should be let it get cleared first for human safety and then take an assessment. Like, Don't just go in head first and start grabbing things because you might run into even more problems. So that's really important. Absolutely. And as while you're doing that assessment, it's a great time to take photos, both from a documenting the emergency standpoint and also for those private citizens out there. If you are going to have to submit an insurance claim, you want to be able to prove that this happened during this disaster and was not already damaged. Uh, so pictures of things in situ as you find them are very, very important to that process. So once you've sort of gone through and assessed everything, um, I would say that your next step is going to be to establish your priorities. Unfortunately, in the situation of a large-scale disaster like a hurricane or major flood, you can't do everything at once. There's no way to go in and start salvaging everything at the same time. No one has a staff that large. So where should you be directing your resources? That's not a question I can answer for you, and it's going to be very specific from disaster to disaster um, and from agency to agency, office to office, home to home. What is important to your office for continuity of operations? What's important in your life that you really think takes top priority in your home? Um, are those family photos? Are they those essential documents that we talked about earlier that hopefully you took with you when you evacuated but maybe you left them at your house and now you need to find them and so once you've 
really established those priorities and determined where you can spend your resources, now you can finally start the salvage process. If you do not know how to salvage records, if you've had no training, um, if you don't feel comfortable with it, if it's just massive and you think you can't handle it on your own, that's the time to contact someone. Um, you can contact us at State Archives and we can offer guidance or assistance um, for smaller scale emergencies. For those large scale emergencies, you probably are gonna need to contact a disaster, re a disaster recovery vendor. Ideally, as part of your emergency plan, you have set up a disaster recovery vendor relationship in advance. I will say that if you wait until after a disaster to contact a disaster recovery vendor, you are going to be at the bottom of their list. They will get to you eventually, but it's important to contact them in advance. Thank you, Kayla, for that. We can't prevent disasters, but having these plans in place can mitigate the loss from the disasters and make it where you can, can still continue operations whether that means as a state and local agency, which is going to serve you as a citizen of North Carolina, or as a member of the public just listening, it'll help you continue your life uh, with what you need. What you need. So let's end on an optimistic note because we've been talking about resiliency in this entire series so far. And the people that we mentioned in the previous two episodes that you told us about, Katie, all across North Carolina's history – showed resiliency in the event of these disasters. And they strike me as the kind of people who were ready for it. And if they would have been given the chance to have these sort of disaster plans in place, they probably would have. And in fact, it's possible that some of the more modern agencies that we mentioned did in fact have these plans in place because it is a strong recommendation for agencies to have a coop, for example, in place. And that probably helped with some of their response to these disasters. Um, so disasters will happen, but the response or the preparedness for the disaster can be so strong that you can continue moving forward. So Katie, uh, you told us about the resiliency scenarios in the past two weeks. Do you have anything you want to wrap up about resiliency now that you've heard about what we're doing now as an agency to help with that? Yeah, there's several types of resiliency we've been talking about, like personal, uh, community, uh, and now agency. I think this is a really nice ending that we've uh, kind of settled on. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly what I was thinking, too, is that we've covered a lot of different resiliency for North Carolinians. And um, you, too, can be just as resilient as every other North Carolinian as we've seen in these stories with some of these tips. So with that, I want to... Thank Kayla. Thank you so much for joining us today for your expertise. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a good time talking about some really serious and sometimes really terrible things. Yes, exactly. And uh, thank you, Katie, for helping produce this resiliency series. Yeah, thanks for giving me all these tips. I definitely got stuff to think about later. We'd also like to thank the producers, Brooke Chuka and Shauna Carr, uh, the executive producer of the podcast and typical host, uh, John Haran, and our podcast interns, Annabeth Poe and Sabrina Burnt. And of course, thanks to the voice you hear at the beginning and end of each episode, Judy Allen Dodson. And in for John Haran, I'm Josh Hager. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Season 4 of Connecting the Docs. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. If you like this show, you might want to check out our blog, History for All the People.